You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. So, you know, it's like you get up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I have uh, so much stuff to do. And then I realize, oh, I have a guest that gets to come over to the studio and hang out. And I got one of my co-hosts, Patel, with me today, which is also a real good treat. And morning. Uh, morning. And, uh, and have the pleasure of, it's always different topics that we have, but today we get to talk about legal, which is a very cool topic that a lot of people are interested in. Because it's like, what do you, you know, what do you do when you get into the cannabis industry? And so many people kind of look at it in a, almost in a negative way, you know, and, you know, we have to try to break the barriers of stoners and acceptance and business and natural life. And I have the pleasure of having uh, Cindy Tran from CNT Law Group. She can't come over here and hang out with us at the studio and, uh, and, and let us know what's going on. Now, before I get into the whole legal and the law group and, you know, everything that you've been doing, let's, let's start where you grew up. Well, I grew up here in um, Southern California, so I was a San Gabriel Valley kid. Okay, San Gabriel Valley. San Gabriel Valley, not, not the uh, Topanga Valleys, but the San Gabriel Valley. So I was... Um, <laughs> Monterey Park, Pasadena. Now I'm in Pasadena, but Monterey Park. And so always growing up in the West Coast, having that West Coast feel. Do you ever visit much? you go to the East Coast much at all or no? Once in a while. But to be honest, I, I came and I, um, we my immigrated here, um, landed in Indianapolis. So it's not oh, okay. in the so, West Coast. but uh, So as a child, yeah, yeah, grew up in Indianapolis for how long? Two winters. My grandfather okay. figured that it was way too cold. <laughs> Hell so, yes. Oh, my God. I saw snow for the first time in his life, and by the after the first winter, he said, if we had to live through another winter in Indiana, he was going to die. So we packed up the falling spring he and drove down smart. <laughs> How smart was he, right? That's the, way to, <laughs> that's the way to go. And grew up in Cali. Yeah. So I was four by the time I came to Cali. So Four in it. Cali. Grew up in Cali. High school Cali. College, Cali. So law college, school, Cali. Cali. Really? Okay. Uh, I stayed local. Okay, that's cool though. Good friends throughout. Like, did a lot of your friends kind of graduate and do the same thing? Maybe go to school, similar schools and stuff, or you kind of just rogued out yourself? What was the What was the scenario? Kind of rogued out. I, I think a lot of my friends are still somewhat in the um, San Gabriel Valley uh, Chinese culture community. We kind of, my husband and I, kind of ventured out towards the west side and worked over at Brentwood for a while. My husband works out in uh, the west side as well, and now we're settled into Pasadena. So and leg not. legal? No, we can't no. have two attorneys in the family. <laughs> <laughs> I know people that, that are like that, husband and wives that are attorneys. That sound, it's pretty, seems pretty power couple-ish, you know what I, I mean? I can't like, imagine <laughs> the conversations they have at home at, at the dinner table. I guess oh. it's possible. <laughs> I mean, right, it is possible, right? Um, it is. So did you know right away, like in school, I'm going to do law and stuff? Did you have a passion for it, or what was the situation? No, actually, growing up, I wanted to be an astronaut, but my aunt wanted me to be a doctor like every other Asian family, right? They, they need to have some sort of doctor in the family. Sure, sure. Um, I went through and, and did biology and realized that I really don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually have, I have a business background. Was it a squeamishness or what was the, the biology part like kind of... It just wasn't The it. formaldehyde Boring. was uh, not something I could do. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't like it either. This smells yeah. crazy. It's horrible. And, <laughs> and I have never seen so many high school 
boys who are so about themselves that uh, run out the door and start vomiting in the hall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when we um, did, so I, not something I wanted to do. But sure. um, my background is actually, I, I, my undergrad was in computer information systems. Oh, uh, wow. The, okay. The School of Business. Sure. And so. And that was really when, I mean, let's, you know, both of us are a little bit older, so. It dates back to really computer technology on its first legs of what it is, right? It is, but you know what? We graduated just after the dot-com boom, so we didn't yeah. get to take advantage of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how much technology and computers, I mean, all that stuff changed, right? I can't keep up. Right. And just because I have a CIS does not mean I know anything about computers anymore. Sure. No, uh, sure. Yeah. And then what made you, like, lean towards legal? Well, while in college, um, I took a interest with CIS. I took an interest in um, cyber law and um, oh, trademarks. Oh, so you kind of went in it and twist, still part of it. I was part wow. of Intellectual property was what I wanted to do. Sure. And so then that's when I went off and um, went to law school only to find out that CIS was a soft science. Okay. Which means I can't get a, I can't take the patent bar. <laughs> oh, I understand. So. Now, for those people out there, you know, laymen that are listening and, you know, interested in learning about different things, reason why having you on, explain what intellectual property is. Because a lot of people just are like, say, oh, I'm an IP or, you know, I'm an intellectual property. And people look at me sometimes like I'm, I'm in, I have four heads. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they don't know what the... <laughs> What I'm doing, what I'm talking about. It's actually all about your head because we are talking about properties that is um, that resides in your head. That's exactly what we're talking about. Okay. So uh, we're talking about things that you come up with, things that um, things like softwares, um, ideas that that are then placed onto a medium. So music, books, um, sure. creative work sure. that all come out of your head, and then what we do is. To, in order for it to become property, it has to be fixed on a tangible medium, which then becomes the song on a CD or the book that's published. When it's in your head, it's not, we can't do anything about it, but once sure. you take it out of your head and present it to the world, it becomes intellectual property. Now, and you have a right over your uh, creative work. Yeah, and controlling and to make sure that people don't steal it, mm -hmm. uh, people don't use it, and things of that nature. Absolutely. That includes um, marketing and branding your trademarks. That's an intellectual property. Okay. Now, a lot of people definitely know what it's like to register a copyright and people definitely know what it's like to do a trademark and have heard, you know, various things about it. Um, if someone can't afford a trademark, let's say, you know, um, how do they copyright in a way or how do they have some form of protection until they can have someone of your stature help? Well, first of all, trademarks, you don't have to register it to have rights to it. There's something called common law rights. Okay. Right. So if you are using something as a trademark or a service mark, what you want to do is put the little TM or the SM at the end of your mark. Um, even if it isn't registered. Even if it isn't registered, you can still acquire rights to it and eventually register it later on. But while you're using it as that you need to put everyone on notice by putting the little SM sure. next to it. Now, how do you um, preserve or prove you started before someone else? 
in today's world. In today's world. <laughs> your website <laughs> is a great place to okay. preserve that because okay. you, you can definitely show the, um, you know, with an archive printout of your website where your trademark was Started displayed. and displayed and right. everything. Right. So, that's, you're, so that's great advice. So that's you're a good saying way. is one way to really preserve something that you're building or interested in is to document it on the web, mm -hmm. best place worldwide. You know, Absolutely. to kind of put it out there and someone technically would have to prove that they actually digitally created that before. Right. Absolutely. And, and one of the best things about trademarks is uh, we think about registration as on a federal level. Um, so if your business is very local and confined to a geographical location, you're uh -huh. not do, you, the website's a good place, but a cheaper version of the trademark application is registering with your state instead of all 50 states and okay. territories oh okay interesting so to hire an attorney to register you in the state that you're in which is something you provide right and Absolutely. do something like that can we talk about what the cost of something like that would run or no sure sure federally um our federal if it's cost, a state one to save money let's say a state one to save money we charge 750 plus the filing fee okay and so. if it were to have been federal how it's a lot more right like 10,000 almost right or no or oh, no we no. are we're we like to work with the new business that are starting up so uh, what we charge is 1800 plus the filing okay. fee. Okay. And then uh, incremental fees later on if there are additional things that we need to do. Okay. But to start off, and if there's no, what we call office actions from the trademark office, no sure. complications, sure. 1800 plus the filing fee will get you through the end. Yeah, so, you know, if if you can't afford the three grand at first, but at least you can come up with, you know, under 1000 you could at least secure yourself in the state. Absolutely. Throw up a website as you build it up and actually bring some revenue you can say you know what let me step it up and let me do the federal mark right mm -hmm. now if they already did the state mark is there any discount towards doing it federally or it just doesn't matter at that point right it, you just kind of like did it until you can and then you pay right. another two grand and do that but it's good to do that if that's what your budget is i guess right absolutely and i advise for those who are um, not going to go straight to a registration on the federal level is that if you are using it on a common law basis, keep track of it. Try to use it for about five years. Make sure no one challenges you. Okay. That way when you file federally, we file it under a different basis, one that's called used in commerce rather okay. than an intent to use. Now, if someone's, when you use intent to use, right, it does take a while. If someone tries to appeal it, things of that nature, it could almost take years before one truly has a registered trademark, right? Absolutely. If someone was doing it for years, like you said, and it's processed that way, does that mean that it takes a shorter time for the trade office to approve it? Yes. Okay. Part of it is um, when you're doing a use in commerce, your application includes the proof of use up front. Okay. And so all they have to do is do the publication. If no one opposes it during that publication period, okay. you're good to go. And what is a publication period usually? 30 days from oh. when they publish it. Oh, wow. And so it could be really, it could be. if not disputed, right? could but happen. Trademark office does take a while to do their job, so it takes them <laughs> six to nine months to process the application yeah, to begin with. Yeah, that's what, that's what it is. <laughs> it does take, no matter what, you got to wait, but as long <laughs> as you're going forward... You're, you're capturing your vision, mm -hmm. you're honing into your value as intellectual property, which gives every person 
really, even if they're working a nine to five job, the ability to create a side revenue based on their own actions and wants and likes Absolutely. and desires. Yeah. Right. One of the things I do recommend doing if you're going to um, create your own trademark and you want to use it first before you register is spend a few hundred dollars and do a search to make sure your trademark isn't going to interfere with anyone else's. Because you okay. don't want to spend five years on sure. marketing and then when oh, you file, yeah. you have a problem. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Cindy, yeah. that's a that's actually a great point. And I had a question that goes right along with that on what are the common myths um, as it regards to the business protecting your business and, you know, that you see your clients dealing with um, on a regular basis? Or is there a theme um, as to, you know, what they believe, but in reality, that may not be the case? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know how everyone talks about the poor man's copyright? Right? Yes. Yes. It's the most commonly. Yes, I was going to even throw it out myself, but I held back. <laughs> I held back. <laughs> you know, but, you know I got a drill in my ear. <laughs> Mail it to yourself with a stamp and never open it. I heard that was the old school way, right? That is, that is the old school way. Never open it. But the the only thing I have a problem with that is it proves all it does is it proves that you have you have the idea first. Sure. But from a legal point of view, you can't file a lawsuit without a registration. Okay. Right. And then on top sure. of that, if we talk about common law, uh, copyright, because co you have copyrights. The rights apply the minute you put your idea down on a tangible form and express it. Sure. Right. Um, and so when you mail it to yourself, you've, all you've do, done is preserve the proof that you came up with it on this date. Sure. But from a legal point of view, when you go to file a lawsuit against someone else, here's your slight problem is that first you're, gonna, you're still going to have to register so that you have a copyright registration number to start the lawsuit. Sure. Mm -hmm. Then what you run into oftentimes in the lawsuit is that when you're doing a copyright, what we're trying to do is recapture the lost potential earnings that you might have gotten from someone infringing on your expression and your idea. Sure. Now, when you do it where you do the poor man's way, you have to prove how much money you've lost or how much you've potentially didn't gain okay. or the right. other side's actual gains. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. How many times has your creation been infringed on and then we take the statutory damages of $750 to 150,000 depending on the range mm -hmm. and multiply by how many times it's been infringed on and you don't have to prove how much you lost or how much they gain because they're statutory damages. But Interesting. If you don't register it and you register it when you do the lawsuit, statutory damages only applies after registration. So all the loss and gains prior to that, you have to prove so wait, That's so explain, so explain. I got a little confused though. <laughs> for, for the layman. For the layman. Okay. Um, for the layman, why do we file a lawsuit? Two reasons. One, we want to stop them from um, infringing on our rights. Okay. Two, money. Right? Sure. Most of the time, there's to right or wrong, and the best way to right or wrong is to compensate you for the wrong. 
Okay. So when we have a copyright issue this way is if you register it under the law, once you register it, there's something called statutory damages. Sure. Which means under the law, a infringing uh, item, item, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. the damage that you can get for an infringement can range from $750 to $150,000 to 150000 yeah. per infringement. Per infringement. If you can prove how many Which could be costly. <laughs> Which yeah. could be, right? Yeah. But if you only sent yourself a letter and that's the only proof that you have and you didn't register it, and for three years, someone's been running, let's say it's a script. Sure. They've got three seasons of the script going before you realize something's going on. Then you file the registration and then you file the lawsuit. The three years before the registration, the damages involving in those three years, you have to prove it based on what you lost or what they gained. Oh, okay. Which means try oh, to get the okay. other side to tell what you yeah, how much what, they made. What you lost or what you gained, then you're getting an automatic amount Precisely. Per, per thing, and then per, that has to be right. negotiated. Exactly. Sure, absolutely. So it makes it a lot easier if you register. And copyright registration fees are like $55 now, an application. I have a question then interesting about what we talked about, cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. Cannabis federally isn't legal, so filing it federally. But what about the scenario you said about state? If California is a recreational state, and you created a copyright or something at least that you wanted to register on a state level, would that be accepted? It should be. It should be. It should be. Well, copyrights are federal, okay? okay. But, but trademarks but are not. Trademarks, you okay. You can register your trademark state. And besides with what it is right now with cannabis is you can't cross state lines anyway because then you end up in the- Yeah, federal sure, sure, like sure. Register Correct. your trademark in the state. Copyright is a whole different thing. When you- copyright something it is an artwork an expression of an artwork so even if you're drawing a picture of a cannabis leaf or a hemp leaf or something you're not violating the law by drawing some i'm uh, making an artwork no so you can still copyright it yeah sure trademark is a little harder because you can't file a federal trademark uh application to tell them well i'm using this mark to promote to just, yeah for exactly. sure but as a state thing to control and, and lock in your brand mm-hmm and then if someone, let's say, took your idea, went into the next state and said, oh, this is my idea, I'm doing it, and copied, at some point, though, you can sue them because you could show that your trademark pre-existed in the state prior to the state they did, right? So the tricky part about federal and state registration is if you have a state registration, it only protects you within your state. In the state. Right. It doesn't protect you in the other state. However... If we're looking at from a long uh, future point of view with seeing that possibly the federal law will change, your state registration can assist you in the federal point of view once that becomes available because then now you can prove that the other you state. You were first, yeah, that you were prior exactly. to. So in the end, it could really mess somebody up once it goes federal or you start samuraiing through and just like registering in each state individually. You could do that. But I would say like, if you know, only in the states that you've Plan on actually having business. Yeah, sure. Um, most state registrations will require that you're already using the mark in their state. Oh, okay. Whereas federally okay. allows you to do an intent. Oh, oh, very interesting. That's I never nice. knew that. Yeah. So California requires that you're already using it before you'll get a registration. Okay. Federally, I mean, federally it's the same thing. You won't get a registration until you start using it, but you can apply what the intent to use 
And then they will give you an, a notice of allowance that after they've reviewed it preliminary and say you can use it. Okay. And they give you six months to start using it and they show them the proof before they register you. Wow. However, in California, it's just, it's like a um, use in commerce application. You have to show that you're already using it before you can even apply. Sure. So there's a little difference. And most states will have that similar requirement. I got Whereas you. the federal allows you to apply with the intention of starting to use. So... You've been working, you know, with cannabis patients, with cannabis clients, right? Starting to work with them and, and felt like you could assist in this industry. Was there a reason that? Well, yeah. Um, with the change in the California law, we we kind of stumbled onto the cannabis clients. Um, we are business law attorneys, so our main focus is business, um, contracts, trademarks, copyrights, anything having to do with business. But most of these cannabis brands, it's very integral, right? Because a lot of these guys, to be honest, very more than not, are part of groups that want to sell out to a bigger group. Right. So that's how we ended up with some cannabis clients is that they are now taking it mainstream with the California law changing and starting to establish their business, structuring it and making it more appealing and the more you do that though the more value the company is worth and a lot easier to get someone to want to invest right absolutely well because here's the thing when you're when you have a business and you have intellectual property you have trademarks you have branding you have all of these your business is running right you have all of your policies in place then if you're looking for institutional investors or, you know, real uh, banks, real banks money, and, yeah, or money, Wall yeah. Street investors, oh, yeah. uh-huh. they're looking at all of that. And if you don't have that, they pass you off in two seconds. Most of the time they're like, oh, you don't have that minimum. We don't even want to really look at you. Right. Or you're not going to get nearly the money you want. Right. Right. You, the, the, the difference of between raising 100,000 versus 10, 10 million. Oh, 100,000 over 10 million. See, you guys listening to that out there? <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, I was like 10,000 over like, oh, and she's going to like millions. Uh, <laughs> when, see? You're, when you're no, talking no, yeah. about Wall Street investors, yeah. they're talking about millions. And that's millions. what it is. They're yeah. talking about millions. They don't want to even hear if you have less, want less than that truthfully, right? Right. Because I mean, what's the return that they can get on their hundred Exactly. 000? The return. The ROI. Return <laughs> on... And that's what we work on. Yes, that's what we work on. We are obviously um, with our clients. We look at their contracts with these potential investors. What are um, what are the returns? And a lot of times, it's also discussing it with them um, and the strategy of what are we offering our investors. What about also helping them feel comfortable uh, from a legal standpoint by helping build the confidence that they need on the fears of being like raided or like all these other like more serious things that do happen to these type of businesses including right. robbery theft very traumatic mm-hmm. uh you know worries let's say right what we're look what you're talking about now is more uh, on the on the realm of the potential criminal liability of things and compliance issues. Yes. Now, as much as we can help like with... compliance, exactly. Yeah, with compliance issues, I mean, we are, again, on the business law side, obviously we've got you covered on all of the compliance on the normal, typical business part. But when it comes to the cannabis compliance part, 
because we are business law attorneys. We're not necessarily the experts in no, our industry. But you're, but you're getting into with, it. You yes. want to. You're, yeah, you're associating with. And that's not the easiest thing to find. No. No. But there are. I mean, the part about this is that we work as your general counsel, more or less. Yeah. So we are your your legal department. Sure. We will work with the different experts groups to make and sure experts you are in yeah the right place. that yeah. you're super solid and that's right. important right right for someone to feel comfortable to have someone that isn't afraid of the plant right what the, the main part is you need to be able to do what you're good at which is your business and let the other people like myself our firm handle the legal part of it which includes anything from your lease agreements your intellectual property to even your compliance we and even starting with- the business from scratch right. right if somebody were to come to you and say you know what i got this great idea mm-hmm. i have some intellectual property i got my trademark i got my you know certain things started but i didn't register nothing can you help me absolutely we can help you and we're we want to be the the one firm or the one person that you come to and we make sure everything else is covered and behind you and a lot of times here's what we're talking about also i've got clients come in they say they talk about the plant that they have they have a specific um my language is not going to be right no there, it's they, okay they have, they have a specific strand that they sure. they're working on yeah exactly and oftentimes we'll we will try to work with someone a botanist or, or to see if this is something that we can patent sure um, and with a patent, just because it's a cannabis plant does not mean we can't patent the strand itself in terms of what you've created. Yeah, and the genetic profile exactly. and things of like that. Because so, that all has tangible, yes, like music. Absolutely. So one day like, you don't have to do the business. You just sell these intellectual property to someone else and get royalties on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? and so, and, and, oh, and that's the other thing to explain. You don't necessarily have to sell off the intellectual property you essentially can charge explain to the layman a fee yes it's called licensing yeah Yeah. and why don't we break that down briefly like what would be your layman's uh i call it a retirement plan okay (laughs) i call it a retirement let's talk about retirement plan (laughs) so for, for for a lot of my clients who who have intellectual property i advise them that the first thing when you're trying to exit your business and you're ready to retire or you and by retirement we're not saying you're in your 60s or 70 but you're ready to go on to a new project sure. or something else your intellectual property you can obviously you can either sell your business which includes your book of business and you know whatever the the hard the hard retail right, tangible part the tangible parts or you can license out the intellectual property which you've built up your brand your trademark and and the easiest way to give an example of this is what people understand franchising as exactly mcdonald's right you go to them you want a mcdonald's Mm -hmm. right you're getting everything from them because they know how to build it so they give you the store they give you the food they give you all that stuff they don't particularly own it you're you're licensing it you own your mcdonald's right they don't run it either and they don't run it they don't have the problem of running it, but they have the concept. And they just gave you a license to use their concept and their name. Yep. And what do you do? You pay a fee every year on top of a percentage of your revenue to them. Yeah, or whatever the agreement is for the use of 
the intellectual property. And when you're the owner of that, you can swing whatever deal you want. Exactly. So what we want to do... If you want to trade for a car because you want to give someone permission to use your intellectual property, I mean, just hypothetically, right? Or something of that, as long as it's a negotiated deal, you are the controller of that property. Right. And the point about that is building up your name or your intellectual property to that point where someone wants to pay you just for the privilege of using your name. Yes. It's amazing. And aside from intellectual property and helping build businesses, I know you're very passionate about working with immigration also. Yes. So we we do. Um, Our office, because we are a business law firm, we focus on investments and employment visas. And one of the uh, more passionate part prior to the cannabis industry coming into play was um, connecting small businesses in the U.S. who are looking for investment funds to expand their business with foreign investors who are looking for immigration opportunities. So nice. that way, you know, you don't have to take out a loan from a bank for a million dollars that I don't know what, to, even if you first, you got to qualify, right? Sure. And then, um, and then what type of collaterals you have to put up and all that. But what we can do is we have plenty of foreigners who are looking for ways um, to come to the U.S. And, and if they have the money, investor visas are a good way. But their problem is, do they start their own business? Because they sure. can't run it. They don't know what's going on in the U.S. Sure. So we like to partner up U.S. businesses who need funding sure. with foreigners who need visas. And wow. that way um, it's a win-win situation. So I would think a natural transition, especially with cannabis and one of the most larger, even politically thrown around thing these days is social equity is essentially social equity that these licenses aren't just given out to big corporations and things and that Mm -hmm. other people get to have a fair shake in this green rush, this wonderful green rush of this economy that we're having from cannabis. And a lot of people hear on the news about applying for their licenses, whether it be manufacturing or distribution or dispensaries and a lot of, you know, people that fall into social equity are looking for who they can go to to help them apply. Absolutely. The social equity program is great in that they're giving the opportunity to these people, but in practicality, once you give them a license, what can they do? How... How are they going to qualify to get the investment to start the business? I mean, sure. it's not a business that takes a few thousand dollars to start. No, it, 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 no. <laughs> you know, um, so this is a great opportunity where if you've got a license, you've got an opportunity uh, for a license and you're needing, you know, anywhere from 900000 to $2 million or even a few hundred thousand, say you need 500000 to start. Well, the, invest, the investment um, that the investor immigrants need to invest is a minimum of 1.8 million and it gets they get a discount if they're investing in a location that has high unemployment so then they get to invest half of that amount so which okay. is 900,000 so you know what they have to invest that money anyway and sure. they need to put it into a business that uh, and work with someone who's going to be able to create the jobs that they need 10, sure. 10 full-time jobs sure. so once federally this goes well our our friends in the cannabis industry, especially with the uh, SE, uh, the social equity program, are going to be able to get investors from the other countries at a much lower rate, sometimes yeah. at zero return, so long as you 
and that's what we need. And you have and you have a network of that. Not everybody yeah. has, you know, Asian markets to be able to work with, which is specifically mm-hmm. that, you know, you have a well, work, yeah, we yeah, have a network concentration, of let's say in. We definitely do. We um, we work with uh, client investors from all of Asia. So we're not only Southeast Asia, we do work with um, clients from investors from even Russia and the Middle wow. East as well. So Russia. we're not tied yeah, only nice. to China. Yeah, for Vietnam. sure, for sure, for sure. No, but, absolutely. Uh, but Vietnam is our next market that we are looking at. So, um, and you run, a, you run a networking event, don't you? I don't run a networking event, or but I participate in You participate one. in a networking event. Do you yes. give a little shout out to it or no? Yes, you know, um, it's a networking, it's not really a networking event, it's, it's called Focus Out. And, okay. Um, Everyone in the group loves to, what they're trying to do is focus on each other instead of on themselves to help with building business oh, and nice. resources. So oh, cool. we have a great resource program where um, every member of the networking group is looking to help you and everyone's in the different industry. So it's just a good resource. Location. Nice. And we meet, we meet once a month, but there are several different groups. So there's always a group meeting every week. But now, I only somebody, do once a month. If somebody's interested in, uh, in, Cat, you know, getting hold of you to try to help with their starting of their business or business services, how would they get in touch with you? They can give us a call. Our phone number is 626-788-2687 or shoot us an email at info at cntlawgroup.com. Nice. CNT Law Group, definitely check it out. Do you have any uh, shout-outs to any friends or family or anybody? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did think about that. Shout like, out. Yeah. Mom is going to get upset. I think everybody will do it. <laughs> Every, yeah, everybody. everybody. Everybody out there. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and hanging out with us today on the Hayes Radio Spotlight. We learned so much about trademarks, copyrights, and the importance of having an attorney, uh, especially, uh, you know, for... All kinds of situations, you know. You know what? Let me do a shout out. Let me do a shout out to all of the entrepreneurs out there. Think about an attorney not as someone you go to when you have a problem, but as someone as an advisor that you talk to on a regular basis so that they can make sure you're protected and catch the things that you need to do before it becomes a problem. Yeah, exactly. One of the cool things I know she told me last time when we were talking is that if you have a lawyer, when you have your board meetings... What was it again? So the attorney-client privilege thing yeah. they're talking yeah. about. Yes, yes. Um, have if your attorney show up. <laughs> right, right. Have your attorney be a part of your decision-making process so that they can advise you as you're making these decisions. But the other benefit was what? There was some other protective or what was it? Well, when you're having a conversation with your attorney, it's legal advice and it is confidential. So, so nobody in the board meeting could go run out, start talking about things to anybody else. It almost kind of Without violating like, some sort of confidentiality. See, I like That's that. That's cool. Hit up Cindy, CNT Logger. She's got all the punches to pull out if you need some help out there. Thank you so much for coming Thank on the Hayes Radio Spotlight. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.